1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15. Now, we ask you, brothers, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so we are continuing our series through First and Second Thessalonians, and what Paul has been showing us here as we're working through these passages is really ever since we were in chapter 4, verse 1, where he said, this is how you live in order to please God. We, we've been looking at the various ways uh, that Paul says that this is how the Christian uh, pleases the Lord with his or her life. And so we've looked at uh, the issues of sex. We've looked at work. We've looked at how we deal with death. Uh, we've looked at how we are to live in the light of Jesus' second coming. And today we're going to move into uh, looking at community, how God calls us to live together in community. And I think this should be a pretty relevant topic for all of us here today because we all long to have good community and we also all understand how a bad relationship can just ruin things. Um, you know, you might have a great marriage, but one harsh word can ruin your day. Uh, you might be an adult who's long since moved out of your parents' house, but you can still feel beat down with their ongoing disapproval. You might have a, a close friend or a sibling who says something critical or harsh to you, and it can just suck the life out of your day. And listen, the same thing can be said about a church as well. I mean, we can have the best preaching and the best worship band and the, and the best kids ministry, but if we don't have rich community, the power of the gospel is missing, and you can feel it. And so the question that we're looking at together here today is how can we live in peace with each other in the way that Paul's talking about here? How can we create this kind of community? And see, that, that's what he says in verse 13, live in peace with each other. But you see, here's our problem. We live in a world that is um, rapidly uh, being eroded from any community. It, it's just, it's, it's going away. You know, I think back to my, my parents' generation where everybody sat on their front porch every evening and interacted with all their neighbors. Um, kids played in the street, it's just what you did. Um, to Even in my generation, where my parents basically let me leave the house in the morning on my bike and I didn't need to be back until dark. And just, you know, have fun. We played, we built tree forts and played cowboys and Indians with real BB guns shooting at each other. It's great. <laughs> it was a day when you could trust your neighbor. Uh, you could trust your neighbor to discipline your kids the same as you would. And the threat to call your mom if you don't behave was never an idle threat. You knew she knew how to call your mom, and she would. See, these were the days when community was, was tight and close, where people actually needed each other, where we relied on each other. But I, I don't have to tell you that community is something that is quickly eroding in our culture. And I think especially because of social media, it is destroying community, which is ironic because of how social media sells itself as an online community. But in reality, what it does is it destroys community. 
Because you see, everybody can now live in their own isolated world in which you can maintain your independence. And you can have the, the virtual world of video games. You can have the make-believe world of movies and TV shows. I mean, even sex has become a fantasy world of online control without having to deal with a real person. And as a result, I think social media is, has created a world of distant, isolated control. In short, what it does is it creates a world of me, 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 where I can't imagine anybody else is nearly as important as I am. And yet, despite all of this, we desperately long to be known and to find connection. And so the question becomes, if this is something that we all really want that badly, why can't we get it? What is it that breaks community from even happening? And of course, in general, it's sin. But I want you to think about specifically how sin actually does this. Sin creates competition. It creates envy. It creates judgmentalism. It creates a spirit of criticism. See, sin, what it does is it robs us of the security of God's well done spoken over our hearts. And so it drives us out into the world of comparison and competition where we're desperately trying to find in somewhere or something that'll make me feel better about myself. Uh, in short, it's pride that keeps us apart. We're so self-absorbed these days that we truly can't imagine anyone as important as me. And, and that describes the typical 21st century American. You are the most important person in your life, right? And your values and your dreams and your desires and your plans and your comfort are the most important thing. And boy, nobody had better dare mess with your own sense of identity. They better not mess with your own definition of what makes you happy, your own crafted ideal of what your life should look like. Because listen, when life is all about you, then it's always gonna be a competition. And you're constantly competing for your place in this world. And when you're around people in this world who intimidate you because maybe they're better than you or they're prettier than you or they're smarter than you, it's easy to become envious of them and want to find ways of putting them down. Or when you deal with those who are in some ways maybe beneath you, you'll tend to turn to judgmentalism and you'll be impatient with them. And you'll note all of the many ways that their lifestyle or their choices or their values are, they just irritate you. They're so far beneath what you would ever do. I mean, listen, do you find, for example, that when you walk into a room like this, you're just always automatically, without even thinking about it, playing these games of evaluating in your mind, hmm, am I, am I better than these people or am I worse? Where do I fit in the pecking order? What, would I belong here? And listen, this is the heart of what kills community. It's pride. And so the first thing that Paul tells us here is that we should be a peacemaker. We should live in peace with each other. But how is that any different than every other kind of community out there? Because let's be honest, there, there are all sorts of options for community out there. You know, you have the LGBTQ community, which is a great support group for the gay community, but it's clearly one that's not open to people who disagree with that kind of lifestyle. Or you have groups like the Republican Party that gathers to promote fiscal and social conservatism, but it isn't a very welcoming place for progressive ideas. 
Because you see, what, what most groups do, frankly, I think what all groups do is they, they gather around an issue, around an ideology, and it really just becomes an echo chamber where each individual in the group is really allowed to hang on to their own autonomy and their own independence as long as you spout the agenda of the group. Listen, even the church, this often happens. In fact, I find it to be a very common problem in the church where churches rally around their own agenda of, of a theology or of some denomination or a set of programs or an agreed-upon critical view of the surrounding culture. Um, you know, I, I spent all of, almost all of my career in church planting, and looking back, what I can see, um, especially early on, very clearly, was a model that, despite all of its best intentions, really ended up simply be, being a, a place to gather people with shared prejudices where they could come together and affirm just how right they were. And therefore, they could go home feeling better about themselves. I mean, is that all a church is? We can come together and disagree with each other. We can pat each other on the shoulder and say, you're on the right team. And then we can go home and feel better about ourselves. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Because that's not what genuine Christian community actually is. Because at its core, none of these groups are actually even attempting to do what Paul says here, to live in peace with each other. Because what most groups are about is really promoting their own self-interests. And it's based on a sense of pride in who we are, what we believe, how we act, how we're better than everyone else that kills community. Pride that we have the right ideas. Pride that we are the enlightened ones. So how is a church supposed to be any different than that? And how, in particular, does a genuine gospel community emerge in the midst of these selfish and prideful agendas that we all seem to have? And you see, what Paul is telling us here is that if the gospel is the core thing of a church, not a version of a theology, not a vision for taking over the city and growing its numbers, not a, a set of programs or entertaining worship, but the gospel itself. See, because you see, the gospel is something entirely different. Because at its core, the gospel is an anti-pride agenda. The gospel actually destroys pride. Now, how does it do that? Well, we say this every week. The gospel tells us that you're far worse than you ever imagined. You're, you're so screwed up, in fact, that only the death of Jesus living and dying in your place could ever rescue you from the dark pit of your own heart. And what this means is that the very heart of the gathering of the church is one that destroys pride. And so for Christian community, the love that Jesus has for us is our binding factor. In fact, it's our collective neediness, our collective brokenness that unites us around the message of Jesus' love and his sacrifice for us. Listen, churches that preach the gospel, and many, many do, and yet still filter everything through the grid of needing to try harder, to be more disciplined, to be more committed out there, to be more serious, to use guilt, shame, whatever it takes to motivate you to live a better life, that ends up destroying genuine community. Because in the end, all you have is the collective prejudice that we're somehow better in here than those people are out there. Which is why those churches tend to feel a need to bash those who disagree with them and talk down about those who don't agree with their agenda. It's why churches like that tend to be filled with gossip because of the competitive nature of trying to keep up 
trying to get ahead. And of course, it's still pride. It's just a religious version of it, all dressed up in Christian garb. Because you see, pride inherently is looking for acceptance. It's looking for approval. It's looking for validation from being in the right group and acting in the right ways. I mean, even if those ways are Christian-looking and Christian-sounding ways, right? And, and you know, you know you're, you're getting into that when you are in a crowd of people and you look around and you say, look how right I must be. <laughs> All these people here agree with me. Surely I'm on the right team, right? And you can feel that way in the middle of a Vols game. You can feel that way in church. You can feel that way in any group. As long as you're surrounded by enough people who are on your side, I must be okay. But you see, in a gospel community, all of this is gone because there's only one opinion that matters in a gospel community, and it's God's. And, and because of what his son Jesus has done for us, God's opinion of us is that we are holy and, and righteous and beautiful. See, if you are resting in Jesus, you are loved by God. And he's writing and singing love songs over you each day. I mean, do you realize that? One of my favorite verses and comes out of Zephaniah chapter 3, where the prophet says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. See, in, in a gospel community, you don't care if you're on the right team or not. It doesn't matter how validated people make you feel. God is in love with you. And he's singing love songs over you. And that is the thing that unites us together here. See, all the competitiveness is gone because our, our value, our worth, it's all gifted to us. And none of it is earned. None of it is deserved on our part. Listen, all throughout the Bible, we're told that because of what Jesus has done, we now have peace with God. See, ever since the Garden of Eden, we, we've been in rebellion against him. And we were expelled from his presence. And so there's no peace between me and God. And that lack of peace makes me feel restless on the inside. It sends me out into the world desperate, trying to find something, some cause, some group, some place that can fill me with validation, some way that I could cover over my insecurities. But because of what Jesus has now done for us, listen to how the Apostle Paul puts this in several passages. In Romans 5, for example, he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or listen to how he explains it to the church in Ephesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Or even listen back to the Christmas message from the angels. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, God has made peace between his holy heart, and our rebellious hearts because of Jesus. Which means, I mean, think about the implications of this. If the whole point of Jesus was to bring us that peace, what that means is that God's greatest desire is to be in community with us. See, community isn't something that God is calling his church to go do. It's a peace that he's inviting us into. And he's inviting us into community and into relationship with this lover who is singing his songs over us. See, God isn't just sitting up there in his director's chair, moving all the pieces around a chessboard, trying to get you to live right and act right. He's after you. And he's after community with you. You are what he wants. 
right? Relationship, community, intimacy. He wants you. Because listen, you were designed by God for that kind of community. You were made to walk and to talk with him like Adam and Eve did in the garden. You were made to be continually in relationship with him so that you didn't have to earn your favor. You weren't trying to build your own faith and trust so that maybe God will now give me what I really want. But it's just him that I want. That's all that I need. But see, if we're, if we're honest, we really do struggle with this. Because, I mean, if you're anything like me, deep down, we want to be the ones in charge, right? We want to be able to earn the right to have a say in our lives by maybe living in the right way or saying our daily prayers faithfully or keeping our lives outwardly clean, that if we can do all that, somehow we might put God just enough in our debt that he has to give me the things that I most want. And so our pride even kills our relationship with God. But if you are resting in Jesus, if, you are, if your foundation of your life is on the good news of what Jesus has done, the good news of the gospel, that relationship has been reconciled. That community has been restored. And you can pursue him. You can be at peace with God, which is the only way and the sole criteria for being at peace with each other. I mean, just look at how Jesus models this for, for us, that the creator of the universe shows up, not to judge us, not to punish us, but to serve us and, and to serve the weakest and the most broken amongst us. He came to live in our place. He came to die in our place. And, and as a result, notice Paul's conclusion to all that here. He says, submit to those who are in authority over you. Serve those who are in need around you. See, that's how we can start to live in peace both with those who are stronger than you and those who are weaker than you. You can live in peace with those around you because God has come and brought peace to you. And the key here, I think, is what he says in verses 12 and 13. He says, now we ask you, brothers, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and uh, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And the word acknowledge here literally is the word for respect. He, he's talking about mutual respect. And, and when he talks about those who care for and admonish you, he, he's talking about spiritual leaders in general. That is anybody who is more spiritually mature than you are. Anybody who helps you in your spiritual walk. See, he says respect what people are doing to help you along in your spiritual walk. And listen, practically what this means is in order for true gospel community to work, you've got to be in submission to your spiritual leaders. I mean, it's one of the reasons why it seems a little bit old-fashioned, but we still believe in membership at this church because it's an acknowledgement that I need to submit to that kind of authority as the means that God uses to destroy my pride and to build community. And I think it's especially important in a church like this where we have several elders who are still in their 20s and, you know, outside the church, you might be wiser than they are. You might have better business sense than they do. You might have um, experience that blows away their life experience, but it doesn't matter. In order for this kind of gospel community to work, we have to respect those who help us. But then he also goes on to show how we are to relate to those who might be weaker than us in some ways. In verses 14 and 15, he says, And we urge you, brothers, Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. 
Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. See, we also have to respect those who are beneath us, who are maybe still behind us in this spiritual struggle. And see, if you think that you were saved because you were smarter or more theologically astute than someone else, you're going to be prideful and you're going to be condescending toward the weaker around you. Because listen, if you think God loves you because of your spiritual efforts or because of how hard you try, you will be impatient and harsh with those who are struggling because clearly they must not be trying hard enough, like, like me, right? And see, what Paul is telling us here is that everything that we have comes by grace as a gift. And to the degree that you see that, to that degree, you're going to be patient and gracious toward those around you. And see, this means that no matter how much you grow and change and believe, you're still no better than anybody else. There's nothing there for you to take any pride in. There's no lofty place from which to judge. Everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you've accomplished, it's a gift. And see, to the degree that you can see God treating you with patient grace and forgiveness and understanding, to that degree, you will treat others in the same way. And see, notice in particular here the ways that Paul addresses these people. He says, for the idle, warn them. For the timid, encourage them. For the weak, help them. In other words, you've got to get to know people well enough to understand where their heart is and what it is that they really need. And it takes community to do that. And you see, the call here for each one of us is to ask this question, is the gospel working enough in your own heart that you are able to speak that same gospel into the hearts and lives of those around you. See, that's why God is working so diligently in your life. It's not only for your own growth and your own happiness, but it's to be able to help those who are struggling around you. And this call is not a calling for the pastor alone. It's not a calling for the elders or for the staff. This is one of those normal uh, calls of one anothering that, that God brings all throughout the New Testament. Right? To know each other, to invest in each other, to pour ourselves out and to help serve one another. And so that's our motivation for living this way. It's Jesus and how he deals with us. And it forms the very basis for how community works. But now finally, only a two-point sermon today. Secondly, finally, it's not enough simply to, um, to have the right model of a servant, Jesus, and how we carry out community, but we also really need to know the peacemaker himself personally for this to work. If we're going to be able to have the power to actually pull it off, because you see, if pride is what keeps community from being able to form, what's the solution? And Paul says, you can only do this when you know the peacemaker personally. See, how does God give us and guard and provide the peace that our hearts need? There's this great passage in Philippians 4 where he says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, how does God guard our hearts and minds with his peace? Well, he tells us there to think about what's good and right and noble and true and excellent and praiseworthy. And then he concludes by saying, if you do that, then the God of peace will be with you. See, what he's talking about is how the peace of God comes to us. It comes to us because we know the God of peace. And you see, what Paul is showing us here is how the God of peace has been working throughout history to make peace with us. 
And Paul says that's what empowers us to be able to live in peace with each other. Listen, you can fake and mimic unity by having a singular view of some theology or by the views of some particular political party or the social agenda of various uh, groups or maybe by cheering in a sea of orange at a Vols game. But, but none of that is an assurance of any genuine community. They're simply shared prejudices and passions that, for the moment that are, need to be validated in community. And you can tell it's not real community because if you dare to disagree, you're going to be crushed and you're going to be punished and you're going to be put in your place. But you see, what the Christian has, if she or he or she truly understands the implications of the gospel, what we have is the very indwelling presence of God himself, the God of peace, who has made peace with us through the blood of Jesus, which means that there's no place in a gospel for community for looking to find our own validation, our own acceptance. Right? We can't look to anything outside of ourselves. We can only look to the finished work of Jesus. See, you cannot be a Christian living in this kind of community and then be filtering people based on their politics or filtering people based on their social agendas or filtering people based on their wokeness or their anti-wokeness. It's only Jesus and nothing but Jesus. Otherwise, you've lost community. You've lost it. Listen, to the degree that you are living under an active, conscious reminder of the Holy Spirit, of his peacemaking efforts toward you, to that degree, you will also extend that very same peace toward those around you, whether they're your kind of people or not. See, it's being reminded over and over again of how God has pursued you to bring peace between his holiness and your rebellion. And that's what empowers you to live this way toward others. See, what you tell yourselves is if, if Jesus is patient with me when I'm a whiny jerk, it, it gives me patience with the pettiness of others around me. If Jesus is loving with me, even when I walk away from him and reject him, it gives me the power to love others when they are being hurtful toward me. If Jesus is compassionate with my ever falling shorts, it fills me with compassion for those around me who are doing things and acting in ways that are foolish. See, the love of Jesus to pursue you and to pursue peace with you is the very power that you need to be at peace with others. And the converse is just as true. If today you're struggling to be at peace with somebody, you have to ask yourself, do I really know the peacemaker? Or have I forgotten the peacemaker? See, is the peace of the peacemaker toward you real enough that you're able to give peace toward others? Or are you still competing for that love, that acceptance? Are you still intimidated by the apparent success of others? Are you still trying to suck life out of the failures and the shortcomings of others just to feel better about yourself? Are you quick to snap at people? Are you quick to judge them? Are you envious of their success or bitter when things go wrong in your life? And how come it never happens to them but always to me? See, maybe you don't know the peacemaker yet. Or maybe you've forgotten the peace that he has extended to you. See, can, can you read Romans 5 where he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Can you read that and still be bitter towards somebody else? Not if you have a new heart. 
Not if you're remembering his peace toward you. And you'll never have the kind of community that Paul is talking about here if you don't remember that. And, and see, if you're, if you're just, you might be a believer who's forgetting all this because you're constantly falling back into bitterness and anger. And if that's the case, you need to come back and spend more time with a peacemaker. See, he's not calling you to live a better life. He's not calling you to live the kind of life that maybe, hey, if I manage to pull this off, it makes me feel better about myself. Or if I've not managed to pull it off, then I just feel like a horrible loser. It's not what he's doing. He's calling you to remember the depths that he's gone to bring peace to your heart by living the life that you owe to God and by dying the death your rebellion deserves before him. See, that's what makes you right with God because of Jesus. And he views you as holy and righteous and beautiful and perfect forever. And to the degree that peace sinks in, to that degree you will seek peace with those around you. Listen, you and I both need the power of the peacemaker living within us in order for us to be peacemakers toward those around us. Because, listen, there are no shortcuts to Christian community. You can't program this stuff in. You can't uh, force it or try to mimic it in some way. You've got to have the peace of God fill you with his peace so that you have the power to extend that peace to others. Otherwise, people will just annoy you, right? People will frustrate you. I've had enough of you. I, I, I can only take so much. Well, yeah, we can all only take so much. But when we are filled with his peace, we can take an infinite amount. Because listen, everybody longs for this kind of community where it's safe and you won't be rejected, where, uh, where everybody knows your name, right? Where you're loved and you're accepted and you're valued and you're encouraged. But it, it, just, it doesn't come automatically. You know, if you just sign up for a small group and start attending, you can't expect to have community like this simply by showing up and spending more time with people. You've got to do the work of taking your heart back to see how the God of peace has made peace with you. And you've got to take your heart back to that place over and over again every day, often multiple times a day, until that peace just overwhelms your prideful, competitive heart. And only then will you come to see that community like this is actually a byproduct of falling in love with Jesus. See, Jesus is really the goal of our hearts, not community. But if Jesus is at the core of your heart, it will lead to community. Listen, we, we talk a lot around here about being in community. And while it might sound like we're trying to really push you into a small group, it's not a program that we're trying to push you toward. It's, it's Jesus. It's the community that you need where you are known and loved, where you can rest safely under his life and his death for you. And then you can turn around and invest that same life into the lives of those in your group. And that's what we're after. But it, but it only comes when you run back to Jesus over and over and over again and begin to see and experience the peace that God has made toward you because of the sacrifice of your big brother, Jesus. May that peace drive us out of ourselves and out of our many self-protections and into the kind of community that can transform us into the very image of our peacemaker, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we need your peace, and you've brought it, but so often that peace just doesn't seem real, either because we've been raised in a culture that says I have to earn it or prove myself worthy of it, or because it just seems too good to be true. 
And it's, it's very difficult for us to imagine that we can stand before you holy and righteous and beautiful. We can't fathom a, a holy, righteous God who is actively writing love songs and singing them over my heart is messed up and, and foolish and rebellious as it is. We, we don't understand a God like that in that that's who you declare yourself to be. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be able to bask in the community of your grace in your mercy toward us, that we might be able to bask in the community of the Trinity, that you came to invite us into that dance, and that as we do, that we would be able to experience genuine community with each other, where we're no longer driven by agendas of how we look and act and think, but we're only driven by the agenda of being fellow messed up sinners who desperately need Jesus. Would you please create that kind of community within our hearts and within our church? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.